Over the last few Sundays, we've been engaged in a call to break out from our complacency, to break out from our consumerism, and to break out from our prejudices, and to do something that would change us and would change the world in which we live, change our community. Through the study of Acts, we have seen how a bunch of ragtag, uneducated fishermen were called to follow Jesus. And then they set out to tell his story. And how that resulted in the explosive growth of the church. And we have declared through this series that everyone, everyone, all nations, all tribes, all people were created by God. And made for his pleasure. Pastor Gary said last week, we cannot claim to be on mission with Jesus while only worshiping with people who are like us. And what our church must look like, what our church must feel like, is the kingdom of heaven. A segregated church does not reflect the kingdom of heaven. Pastor Tony Evans has said, To relate to a brother or sister in Jesus Christ and to determine your walk with them based on what neighborhood they were raised in, the color of their skin, or their cultural distinctiveness is sin. And sin doesn't need seminars. Sin needs repentance. Sin doesn't need workshops. Sin needs repentance. If we are to be the church that God intends us to be, we don't need another seminar. We don't need another workshop. We don't need a sensitivity session. We only need the word of God. For it has told us what we should be and how we should act. We are to be the church that breaks out of its complacency And with God's power and strength, go into the world with the gospel. And until we are willing to break out of these walls, to break out from the divide of racial, cultural, and class differences, we will never see an spirit-empowered church because God will never endorse disunity. So today we examine a passage of scripture whereby we see the church in Jerusalem breaking out of its walls and carrying the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. And guess what? It all started with persecution. In a previous chapter of Acts, we are told that on the day of Stephen's murder... A great persecution against the church in Jerusalem arose. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. You see, before the persecution began, no one had left Jerusalem to go with the gospel. It was being preached only to the Jews in Jerusalem. But out of the persecution came mobilization. 
And out of the mobilization, the gospel of Christ was spread. So I want us to look again at this 11th chapter of Acts, the passage that Emma read earlier. And I want us to begin in verse 19 of the 11th chapter. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And then in verse 20 and 21. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. It was the persecution that initiated through the suffering of Stephen that got the church out of its walls. And not only to Judea. Not only to Samaria, but to the uttermost parts where the Gentiles were. And they were the ones who had absolutely no access to the gospel until this church in Jerusalem broke out. Leaving the walls and the conveniences of Jerusalem to do what Jesus had called them to do. I think what's remarkable about these series of events is how our sovereign God turned the setbacks of the church into the triumphs for the gospel to be spread. The Jerusalem church had found itself in a state of stagnation when God called on them to break out of the walls of complacency and get about the mission of the church. John Piper describes this kind of complacency this way. He says, ease and comfort and safety and security and luxury produce nothing but tremendous spiritual stagnation in the church. And I believe that's where a great many of our churches in America are today. At ease in Zion. Happy to sit in their cushioned pews, nice air conditioning, and unwilling to break out of the humdrum a religiosity to reach a world with the gospel. Now don't hear me say that we should invite persecution in order to mobilize. But in times, in many instances, even in today's world, there are many followers of Christ who through persecution have been mobilized and determined even more to share the gospel. So we see what happens in this passage, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So what did the church in Jerusalem do? They sent Barnabas to Antioch. And then in verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now here's Here's what I want you to see this morning. When Barnabas saw the Gentiles being swept up into the fellowship of the church, he was elated. But he recognized that it was going to take someone to be in charge of this revival. The work needed a special person. Someone that was brought up in the Jewish tradition, but 
who could also speak to the Gentiles on their level. This person could not be discouraged by the worldliness of Antioch. But instead, it had to be, this person had to be challenged by the multi-ethnic city of over 500,000 people. A place where many languages were spoken. But where walls were built to fence off various groups from each other. You see, Jews lived in their corner of the city. Greeks in their corner. Romans in their corner. And these walls were symbolic of the great divides between the worldviews of the Antioch residents. And by the time Barnabas had arrived there, the biggest wall was that which divided the Jews from the Gentiles. So Barnabas knew that he had to have a strong leader to come out and to further the gospel in that important city. So he immediately thought of Paul of Tarsus. Now for nine or so years, we heard relatively nothing about Paul. He, we knew that he was back in his native town of Tarsus. We knew that he was sharing Christ. We also know that he was preparing for his mission for which God had called him. So Barnabas goes to Tarsus to look for Paul, and when he finds Paul, he brings Paul back to Antioch. And then Paul and Barnabas, they witness and teach for a whole year, winning people, teaching them, discipling people. And the Antioch church became the great Gentile mission church where the term Christian was born. Now there was a, that was a risky move for Barnabas. Because we all know what Paul was like before he met Christ. When people heard of Paul's conversion, remember he had been persecuting Christians. And when people heard of Paul's conversion experience, many scoffed at him. And they even called him a liar because they thought that his claim of being converted to the Lord Jesus was just his way of infiltrating the followers of Jesus. But now Barnabas, who had a revival on his hands in Antioch, he looks around and he says, you know what I need? You know who I need? I need Paul. And Barnabas saw the potential in Paul that most people did not see. So he takes Paul off of the bench and he puts him in the game. And because Paul turns out to be a a good leader, Barnabas quickly steps into Paul's shadow And he lets him lead. Let's him lead. Paul, the persecutor of Christians? Paul, the hated man by those who followed Christ? Paul, who went door to door asking if they were believers, and if they answered yes, he would put them in prison? This man was selected to come and lead the Antioch revival. Wow. Whenever I think of Paul's past and how God used him, I think maybe there's just a chance that God can use me. That God can use me. 
God can use someone like me because I think that's the way God works. You first, God works, he says, give me the slow people, the weak people, the uncoordinated people. And then I'll fill them with a couple of people with obvious talent. Now, I wouldn't have done it that way, but God didn't ask me. That's the way God works. Remember what Paul said? God God chose the foolish things of this world to put the wise to shame. He chose the weak things of the world to put the powerful to shame. What the world thinks is worthless, useless, and nothing at all is what God has used to destroy what the world considers important. Basically, God wants humility. He wants us to focus on him. So he hides his power in weak people. And when we realize that, that's when we move from competition to collaboration. That's when we move from pride to humility That's when we moved from comparisons to unity. Because we realize that God can use anyone and everyone, and he does. Someone. Sometimes we just don't recognize it. Listen, church. Jesus had everything. He had power and divine privilege. He had divine prerogative. And he gave it all up. He emptied himself and came down until he was beaten, until he was despised, and until he was killed. And he did all this to strip away and to wreck forever the basis of our comparisons and our competition and our cliques. So that when Jesus formed this community, he formed it around himself. And it was built on something totally different. You see, the church is built on weakness. It's built on community. It's built on diversity. It's built on the fact that there is only one place where we all come together, and that's at the foot of the cross. So when Paul leaves his old life, He becomes the greatest missionary of all. And all of a sudden, Paul is given the opportunity to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. The story of Paul is a testimony that no one is beyond the saving grace of our God. The story of Paul is the story of taking a bad person and making him good. It's a story of how God entrusts the gospel to a life that's been transformed by his grace. Paul spent all of his days from conversion to martyrdom, working tirelessly for the kingdom of God. And that's the way God uses ordinary people. People who choose to break out of their mundane existence. To share the gospel with a world that so desperately needs it. 
Let me tell you about another man. Another man who was like Paul, he was radically transformed by the gospel of Christ. Another bad man who turned to good. His name was Chuck Colson. Some of you in my age bracket will remember that name. Younger folks will not. Colson grew up a child in a working class family in Massachusetts. He graduated from high school as valedictorian in 1949. And he received a full ride scholarship to Harvard University. But he was so full of himself that he thumbed his nose at Harvard and instead took an ROTC scholarship at Brown. He aspired to greatness and he wanted no one to get in his way. He graduated from Brown in 1953 and joined the Marines and he rose to rank as captain in two years. Later took a job in the Navy Department while attending law school at night at George Washington University. He served as an assistant to the Secretary of Navy for two years and then he completed law school in 1959 and he joined a prominent law firm there in D.C. where he worked until joining the White House staff in 1969 as an aide to President Nixon. It was there he earned the reputation as Nixon's hatchet man. One night, Colson was visiting in the home of a friend and colleague named Tom Phillips. Tom had been converted at a Billy Graham crusade. And that night, he asked Chuck Colson if he wanted to pray to receive Christ in his life. If he wanted to become a follower of Christ. That night, hard on the outside, but aching on the inside, Chuck Colson became a follower of Christ. But like Paul, Colson had made so many enemies. He had done so many awful things that even Christians didn't believe in his conversion. As part of the Watergate scandal, he went to prison a year later in July. Colson was known, who was known as a nasty wheeler, dealer, hatchet man, now became known as prisoner 23226. Sharing living space with 40 other convicts amid the smell of body odor and tobacco. Drinking scotch and sodas with Nixon and Kissinger on the president's yacht was now a faraway dream. He had entered the world of uncomfortable bunks, black and white TV sets, dirt brown work clothes, and everyday laundry duty. But a turning point came in his life one day when he read a passage of scripture from Hebrews that says, for the one who makes men holy and the men who are made holy share a common humanity so that he is not ashamed to call them his brothers. And suddenly, he understood how God in Christ 
went to prison to rescue from bondage those of us who were sinners. And this revitalized his understanding of God and it ignited in him a new sense of mission for this prison. For the first time, Colson realized that he had been called to prison. What's more, he discovered that he was to be a brother to those in bondage, just as Christ became his brother. So Colson got involved, and he applied his legal expertise to help navigate people through the convoluted and often unjust court system. He also touched them by praying with them and leading Bible studies. This violated his second rule for survival, but it also gave him a glimpse of the positive effect of treating criminals with dignity. He did not gloss over the seriousness of his fellow inmates' crimes. As a lawyer, he understood that justice demanded crimes to be reckoned with. And yet he came to see that those men, those criminals, were also brothers. And as such, needed to be restored and forgiven of their crimes. Colson called a vision for restorative justice. And that's the same kind of justice that God demonstrated to us through Christ Jesus. So upon release from prison, he founded the organization called Prison Fellowship. Their ministry is founded on the conviction that all people are created in God's image. And that no life is beyond God's reach. Only Christ can make the most broken people, the most broken Situations Only Christ can make them whole again. And because of the ministry that Chuck Colson started, thousands upon thousands of prisoners have been won to the Lord. Over 35,000 prisoners are currently participating in prison fellowship Bible classes each month. There are over 15,000 Volunteers who go into the prisons each month to share the gospel. Over 300,000 children of incarcerated men and women have now connected to a church and are receiving the gospel, all because of one unlikely person that God used to break out of his former life and invest the gospel. Into those lives. No one could see Paul becoming a champion of Christianity. Only someone like Barnabas could see the potential of this young man. Paul was one of the bad guys that God made good. When Chuck Colson went to prison, no one could see his potential as well. He was also one of the bad guys, one of the ones reasons our government is so corrupt. 
But Chuck Colson became a new man in Christ Jesus. And his life was transformed. And he became one of the good guys who did more for prison reform than any other person in the history of our country. And today his legacy continues as the most, one of the most influential Christians of his day. The Apostle Paul and Chuck Colson being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Breaking out from their former life and doing the extraordinary for Christ. So what do you need to break out of today? What's it going to take for you to break out of the mundane and to follow Christ's command to go into all of Judea and Samaria and Jacksonville? To make an impact on lives that so desperately need the gospel. To break out of these walls and to go into our community with the love of Christ. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to make a huge impact on others? And are you ready to take that risk? I pray so. I pray so. Let's pray. Father, we admit our inadequacy when it comes to doing something that will impact our world. But you are a powerful God. And you can work through any one of us to be on mission sharing your gospel. So I pray today that you would open our hearts and our minds so that we would break out of our comfortable Christian lives and risk something great for your kingdom. By your spirit, may we go forth from this world to make a difference and to impact our lives for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.